Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for all of you who are worshiping with us online today. We're so grateful that you're a part of this service and that you're joining us, and it means a lot to us that you are there and a part of what we're doing today. And for everyone, for all of our campuses, we're so grateful that you're here in person. It's just great to see people and to be able to worship with people. And we're so pleased that you've chosen to be here today and to be present as we worship the Lord together. There's a guy in 2007, a guy who lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who was in need of money. And he needed money very quickly, and he needed a lot of money. And so he decided that the only way he'd be able to get it was to steal it. And he decided that the safest way to steal the money was by passing counterfeit money. So he made the decision he would pass, not a $20 bill, not a 50, not a $100 bill, a $1 million bill. And uh, so he put the plan together. And here was the plan. He decided after he got the $1 million bill all the way he wanted it to be, he would take it to the grocery store and he would get some little thing and he would buy it and he would put it there at the cash register and he would ask for the change for $1 million. I think there were some things not quite there in the plan. I think about the idea, first of all, you're gonna go to a a grocery store and you're gonna ask for a million dollars in change. I don't think there's gonna be a million dollars in that cash register, or maybe even in the whole store. Second of all, there's no such thing as a million dollar bill. That is a little bit of a limitation there. And then, can you really put together a million dollar bill that's convincing? that you could really pass it. Well, the guy made the decision, he had the plan, he got the, he created that dollar, well, he didn't actually create it, but he got a, a, a million dollar bill and he took it to the grocery store and he got some little thing, put it up there on the counter and said, here is my million dollar bill and I want the change back. And the person that was taking it said, sir, this, is, this isn't real money. This million dollar bill isn't real money and I'm not going to give you any money back. In fact, you've got to give me more money in order to buy this thing. Well, the guy was incensed. How dare you mistreat me the way you are? How dare you be so rude? Since all I'm trying to do is steal a million dollars from you, you ought to at least treat me with respect. He was just going after it. He was complaining and griping and, and arguing all the way so long that the police had time to arrive. And they came and they arrested him for trying to pass a phony million dollar bill. Have you ever seen a million dollar bill? This was the million dollar bill he tried to pass right here. I don't know. I think there's some limitations on this. In fact, look up on the left-hand side, would you? Do you see the JN? JN316, it actually stands for John 316, which makes the rest of the letters make sense. Are you for God? 
And in fact, if you turn the bill around, it just has the plan of salvation that is written on the backside of this. It was actually created by a ministry in Dallas as sort of a spoof kind of thing. If you see a million dollar bill, you'll stop and read it. And then to be able to share the gospel with them. Now, it, with a full disclosure, he, he didn't actually have on this bill, he didn't have Ronald Reagan's face. He had President Grover Cleveland, who was a president in the 19th century on the face of it, but everything else about his bill was identical to this. So I thought about this and I thought, you know, I wonder if he ever read it, ever read, you know, what was printed on the front and back, and maybe he did. And maybe, maybe his goal was bigger than I realized. Maybe he was trying to steal a million dollars and lead someone to Jesus at the same time. I don't know, he had big goals. So what about your goals? I hope that you've got some big goals for 2022. I hope that you, you wanna see some big things happen in your life. I got goals. I really wanna see some good things, some big things got to happen in my life. I want God to use me. So what are your goals? What, what big goals do you have? I don't wanna change any of the goals that you have. What I wanna do is I wanna add one more goal to the list. Would you let me today, would you open maybe the possibility that I could add today one more goal to your list of goals? So what is a goal? Have you noticed how angry everybody seems to be these days? Have you, I mean, have you noticed this? Are you reading all the stories? It's unbelievable. Now it's a, an, an exaggeration and I admit that it is, but it feels like everybody's mad at something. Everybody's mad at seemingly everything. And people are going nuts, going crazy, doing stuff they would have never done on planes, on trains, at ball games, in grocery stores, even in grocery stores. All kinds of things. And I think to myself, good grief, what is, what's happening to us? Well, I think part of what's going on, we've just been through two years of pandemic and it's been pretty stressful. Oh, trust me, it has been very stressful over the last two years. Well, part of the, the problem has been what decisions do I make or not make? What do I do one way or another? I agree with that, I don't agree with that. And, and being shut up and, and uh, all of the pressure on us and the stress that we're feeling, what we gotta go through. And then the fear factor that all of this is bringing and what do we believe anymore that from what we hear, all this stuff, it has created a lot of stress and in some cases animosity, and maybe that's part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. I think part of what's actually going on is there's just also, there's just so many issues. There's so many problems that our country is facing right now and so much turmoil and, and issues that we're trying to deal with. And if you're paying attention at all to what's going on in the culture, it's just like, it's wacky right now. I've got an opinion about a whole lot of these things that are happening and you probably have an opinion and maybe our opinions agree and maybe we don't agree or maybe we just partially agree. But what we're hearing on especially these 24 hour news stations and that sort of thing, what we're hearing are these kinds of statements that, if, that this is the only way to see this issue and if, and if somebody else doesn't see it this way, treat them like an enemy. 
treat him like an enemy. I'm actually hearing these kinds of words said and reading these kinds of words said on the internet. No wonder we are going through what I think is the hardest time emotionally that I have ever seen happen in my lifetime. The, the most anger, the most sense of hatred and animosity that literally I've ever seen in my life. I think to myself, and I don't think this is pie in the sky, I think to myself, if there is any group of people in this country, if there is any group of people in this country that surely could rise above all of this and bring sense and bring unity and bring us back together, surely it's the people of God. Surely it's the people of God. But the problem is, is that so many of us have been caught up in all of it. And sometimes we don't even act any differently than people that don't know Jesus in our responses. Well, what I'm asking for, for me and you, for all of us, is not that we give up our convictions, not that we, we give up our values and our principles. I won't do it. I've really worked hard in my own life to, to develop convictions and, and principles and values that I feel like are rooted to the word of God and I'm not giving them up. I'm not asking you to give up any of these things at all. But I'm asking you to add another conviction, another principle, another value to your life that is also rooted in God's word. So what is it? It was the Apostle Paul that wrote First and Second Corinthians. And by the way, he actually wrote to that church three letters. We just have two of them. He references in the second letter another letter he had already written. So there were three letters. We just don't have all three. We got two. But he never did this with anybody else. When what was happening in this church in Corinth is that they were so angry with each other, they were so mad at each other, they were so divided over so many issues that were happening that there was genuine hatred emerging inside that church and that church was falling apart at the seams. And Paul was trying desperately to rescue that church in the midst of all the stuff they were going through. And Paul, as he's trying to do this, uses two strategies, two things that he is using to help bring the church back together, that church of Corinth. It's, it's grace and truth. Grace and truth. You find both of these Seriously, all over the New Testament reference grace and truth, grace and truth. And in John chapter 1 and verse, verse 14, he's identifying Jesus and Jesus came into the world. And in verse 14, and the word, became, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What was the secret of Jesus' teaching is he taught both grace and truth. Not just one, both. And now Paul is utilizing these two things, 
grace and truth. And he spends the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians trying to deal with all the problems that they had. Those problems were sexual and they were marriage and they were suing each other in court and they were fighting with each other and mad over different things and false teaching was going on, all this stuff. It was all added up in the first 12 chapters. He's going from one problem to another problem to another problem and explaining what truth is with this issue. And then he gets to the end of chapter 12 and verse 31 and it's a transitional verse and listen to what it says and now I will show you an even better way and what he means by this is now I will show you a better way of living I wish that there, there would be something that would emerge for the whole country in which we could say, now, let me show you a better way of living. And the very next word that came out of his writing, his mouth, but his, his writing, was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 1, and all of that chapter has been known for hundreds of years as the love chapter. The love chapter. In which all through that chapter, he challenges us. It, it sounds like a challenge. I mean, it's in our face kind of thing. He challenges us, live a better life. Respond to life differently. And he lays out the principles we're going to be looking at in this chapter that's called the love chapter. And then he summarizes everything in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse one, and notice how he puts the summary and he says, now let love be your greatest goal. Let love be your greatest goal. It's the love, he's talking about, the love he's talking about is the, the love that God shows us. Let this way of loving be the greatest goal you set in your life. So that's just what I'm asking. I'm asking that all of us today have an open mind, all the goals that we have established that we're hoping for in this next year. And I'm asking you, would you add one more goal and that goal to be this idea that there's a better way to live? And the principles that I'm going to learn over the next few weeks I'm going to add to my life. I want it to be a goal that I pursue. Not loving people that love me, not loving people that agree with me. I mean, who can't do that? Everyone does that. Jesus even said in Luke chapter six, look, people that you agree with, that agree with you, people that are part of your family, your friends, well, of course you love them, Jesus says, but a lost person could love them. All of us love people that agree with us. But then Jesus goes on and says, no, I'm talking about people that don't agree with you. I'm talking about people that don't treat you right. I'm talking about people that are mean to you. I'm talking about people that abuse you. I'm talking about mean people in your life. That's who I'm talking about. And he said this, let me just tell you, you won't be able to love these people without God, without the power of God in your life. But I'm calling you to a higher challenge of life, I'm calling you to love even these people. 
And this is what Paul is doing. This is what this love challenge is about. So if we're being challenged that our goal that we set in our life is that we learn how to love, the question is why? Why should love be the greatest goal for my life? And now we enter 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. And notice what he says. He says that without love, all that I say is empty. Verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. He is saying that when we just use words, say, oh, I love you, I use words without authentic acts of love, it's just noise. And he's also talking about someone, here is this person is a great communicator, we love to listen to them, but it isn't long until we're wondering, who are you on the inside? What's under your skin? What is true about your life and your character? And if you look underneath the skin and you discover someone who's just a hateful person, all of a sudden it doesn't matter how good they can talk. They're just noise. And that's the point he's making. What is the saying? Um, We don't care what you know until we know that you care. And that leads to the second point that Paul is making. And listen to what he says. Without love, all that I know is meaningless. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I don't have love, I am nothing. You can be the most intelligent and well-read person who ever lived. You can have five doctorates and be most voted most likely to be brilliant. But if you don't know how to love people that don't love you, if you don't know how to love, how to treat people that rub you the wrong way, if you don't know how to love, he is saying it's meaningless. Pastor Juan Carlos uh, showed me a quote a few weeks ago that I was, just, I was shocked at. I'd seen something like it before, but the length at the end of the quote was much larger, but things have really changed now. And here's basically what the quote said. The quotes said this, this kind of thing. Of all the knowledge that mankind now has, all the things that we know, we know about, the universe, life, our bodies, the, 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 everything, all that we know about, 90% of what we know right now has been learned in the last two years. What? I, I, that really stopped me. I stopped and think, to think of all of the time that mankind has been on the earth and, and all the stuff that has been learned and all through the space age and all the stuff all into the 2020s. And you're trying to say to me that all that stuff collectively is only 10% now of the total knowledge? And the last two years is the other 90%. I don't know how do you judge that. I do know these kinds of quotes have been made. The, the ones I've seen, the last ones, is in the last 20 years or the last 10 years. But I guess it's now the last two years. 
I do know this, there is an explosion of knowledge all over the world, it's absolutely shocking, it's absolutely amazing what we are learning, how far we're going, what we're understanding, and I love science, and I love learning and growing and being pushed and being challenged and all of that. I love that, but I thought about the last two years and if all we know, 90% of all we know we've learned in the last two years, well, it sure hadn't made us better people, I know that much. We've become far more hateful and mean and mad and, and killing people and hadn't changed human hearts. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to say in this. You can know a ton of stuff, but if it doesn't change your heart, What, 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 in, the, in the long term, what good is it? Third, without love, my religion is phony. My religion is phony. If I cannot love people that are unlovely, my religion is phony. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, if I have faith that I can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And listen to me, if there's ever been a time in our nation, if there's ever been a time in our nation in which what we know about God and how much we love God must change how we behave and how we treat other people and even other people we don't like. It's gotta be now. It's gotta be now. And if, it, if there is no change in us about our so-called love for God, then maybe there's something phony about us. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm not saying this. It's what Paul is saying. The Bible says God is love. And in 1 John chapter four, he says, and if a person says he or she loves God but treats others with hatred, How can the love of God live in that person? I didn't say this. John said this. God, the Holy Spirit said this. And it's a rhetorical question that has an obvious answer. In Galatians chapter five, verse six, he says, the only thing that counts, would you hear him? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. doesn't mean we give up convictions it doesn't mean we we give up our principles and our values it means we add a conviction a principle a value of loving in a way that only a person who has God living in their hearts can love and that's what he's talking about faith is important but without love it has no power it's phony Religion, And the fourth is this, without love, all that I give to others is insincere. Verse three, if I give all I possess, everything you have, just imagine, if I give all I possess to the poor, but I have not love, I gain nothing. How could you give everything you have to the poor and not have love? Well, if you give everything that you have to the poor, but you despise them and you you disrespect them and you mistreat the very people you're giving the money to, 
then your gift is insincere. And that's what he's saying. And the fifth is this, without love, all that I accomplish when all the smoke is cleared, all that I accomplish is worthless. Listen to what he says in verse three. If I surrender my body to the flames that I have not love, I gain nothing. Now in Paul's time, this whole thing of burning at the stake was beginning to happen. By Nero, the Roman emperor in Rome, and this was beginning already to happen. And there were people that were Christ followers that would not deny him and they were burned at the stake. And Paul, just a few years later, was not burned at the stake, but he had his head chopped off And Paul figured that he was going to die a martyr's death. But Paul said, even if you do that, even if you die a martyr's death, but you can't love someone who kills you, who martyrs you, then what have you gained? I want you to see this phrase, because the phrase can mean two different things. One way is what I've just explained. I want you to think of it another way, a, a success way, that you have done something very hard and you've been successful in it. To die for Christ on burn, being burned to death, that's pretty hard. But I want you to think beyond a martyrdom kind of thing. All the success that you have in your life and the, the rewards you, or the, the awards you win and the trophies you win and all the success and all the promotions and everything you do, all of the success in your life. But with all that success, you never learn to love other people then what do you have? I got to tell you, you and I know people. We know people that in order to make it to the top in their business or career or whatever, they pretty much gave up their family. They pretty much ignored their kids as they were growing up. And they pretty much did the wrong things in order to have success. And we, we know people like that. And what Paul is saying is no matter it, how it is you're living and what your goals are and what you're accomplishing, if you are not learning how to love like God loves, the agape kind of love, and you haven't gained anything. You put all of this together that he has said, and it's this, that relationships are more important than our accomplishments in life, that success without love is empty. So God is giving to you and I the challenge. A challenge to learn how this year, to learn how this year to love people we would not normally have loved before. Anybody can love people that love them. Anybody, Jesus said, can love people that are nice. Jesus said, lost people can do that. But to love people in a way that God has called us to, it's a challenge. And the challenge that Paul is giving to us is, would you make this the greatest goal of this year in your life? I'm going to learn how to love this year. I'm going to learn how to love unlovely people this year. I'm going to take the challenge. Now, if that becomes the case for you, if, goal, if the goal is love, then what is love? Well, there's three words in the New Testament that's, that's translated love in the English. One is the word eros, E-R-O-S, and it's the idea of a physically intimate love between a husband and a wife, eros. Phileo is the idea of brotherly love or friendship kind of love. 
Phileo, and this is why Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love because Phileo, the word it comes from, means a friendship kind of love. And all of us, even a person who doesn't know anything about God, they can have this, these two kinds of love. But there is a third kind of love that he is now calling us to, and it is called the agape kind of love. And the word agape means a selfless kind of love, an endless and unconditional kind of love that is demonstrated by the character qualities of God. 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And guess what? The word he uses in that verse that's translated love is the word agape. Agape. Agape love is the act of living out the character qualities of God in how we approach God and others. And that's the challenge of this passage of scripture we're going to be looking at over the course of the next few weeks. So the question is, is how do we demonstrate a God kind of love? Well, first of all, love is a decision, not a feeling. Love is a decision, not a feeling. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love. He's commanding us to love, and you can't command a feeling. Somebody can command it, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel that way, and probably you'll feel exactly the opposite. They command you to feel a certain way. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision, and you can command a decision, or God can. He can command a decision of us, and that's what he's doing in the verse because it's a choice. It's a decision we make. Second of all, love requires an action. First John 3, 18, dear children, let us stop just saying that we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. Stop the talk and start the walk and show your love by what you do. Dr. E.V. Hill was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. Uh, Evie Hill, if, you, if there were a group of people that knew all these preachers uh, and made the, a list of the top 10, Evie Hill, Pastor Evie Hill would make the top 10. He was an amazing preacher and speaker and leader. He was the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. When I was the co-pastor with uh, John Bassanio at First Baptist Houston, Evie Hill came and preached at First Baptist, and I got to meet him, and I got to hear him preach, and he's amazing. One of the things in his life is that he would make tough stands, and when he did, there were times in which he would be threatened. People would threaten to kill him. And in one particular instant in his life, one moment, he had preached this message on, some, on an issue and he got a, a threat that day and said, this week, you will be bombed and you will die. Well, he took that seriously. It's, it's rather specific. Uh, how, how you're gonna do it and it's when you're gonna do it and he took it seriously, and so he decided he would not drive his car that week. He, he would uh, he'd have someone drive him, and someone did, and there was a police officer with him because they took seriously the threat. One day he came home, and when he got home, his car was gone, and his wife was gone, and he did not know where she was. 
There was no way for him to get a hold of her. He was scared to death. I, what, what's happened? I don't know. And for 30 minutes, it was like he had lived a lifetime. He was scared of what might have happened. And then 30 minutes later, here she comes driving home in his car. And when he, she got home, he said to her, what did you do? You scared me to death. Why, why did you take my car? Why didn't you take your car? And I want to read to you what she said because I don't want to miss one part. She said this, I got to thinking, this community needs you more than it needs me. And if they were going to rig that car to be bombed, I wanted me to be in it, not you. And he said, I always knew my wife loved me, but I saw a whole different way of looking at the word love. Love is a decision to do something towards someone else that reflects God toward them even if they don't deserve it. It is a decision to reflect the character of God towards someone else even when you don't feel it. I don't like you. I shouldn't even like you. But I choose to love you. Love is a decision to take an action that reflects what God would do, not what you would do, not what public opinion says to do, but what God would do no matter how much heat you take for it. So how do you get there? 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to stop for a moment in your own life. The only reason you love God is not because you're so good. It's because God loved you first. And in his love for you, he is now drawing you to him. He wants you. He wants you to know him. He, he wants to have a relationship with you and he is drawing you to him. And that feeling inside you, you right now is the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to God. That want to inside of you is God drawing you to him. I love you and I want you to know me and love me. And what happens is that in that moment in which we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and we commit our heart by faith to Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of us. And when he comes to dwell inside of us, the love of God comes and is poured inside of our life. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. The moment you accept Jesus as your Savior, he comes to live inside of you. 
and the love of God is poured inside of you. Now, you don't have to pray for more love. Oh, God, give me more love. You don't have to pray for more love. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have to pray for more love. The whole love of God has been poured inside of you. What you need to do is release the love that is already there. It's releasing the love God's already put inside of you. And you release it by a decision at the worst possible time. You make a decision and you do an action that shows love when you don't feel it, when you don't want it, to somebody who doesn't deserve it. And that, that is the love of God. So it begins by giving your heart to Christ. And for all of you that are watching online right now, I'm asking you, would you give your heart to Christ? Jesus loved you so much. He came to the earth. He, he, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He rose again from the grave and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. And when the Holy Spirit then comes to live inside of you, all the love of God, all the joy of God, all the peace of God, every characteristic of God is poured inside of you. And now the Christian life is just learning how to release what is already there. And I'm asking you, would you give your heart to Christ? Wherever you are, listening online, watching, worshiping online, I'm asking you, would you give your heart to Christ? And there are those who are helping you online, and they're part of our church, and I'm asking you, would you show them, help them to know you are accepting Jesus as your Savior, and let them help you right now. Would you let them help you? And all of those who are in person on wherever you are, Whatever campus, this is the moment that I'm asking you, would you give your heart to Christ? Would you begin this great journey of God? Would you experience this pouring out of God's love in your heart and begin to learn how to love a love that only God, only God could do in you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are praying the impossible. That we could be a different person. And it takes you, and we come to you today and many right now are accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I ask, Father, you'd move in their heart and that they would come to know Jesus Christ in their life right now. And many that are listening, Father, know you. They are Christians and they say, I love people, but the truth is that we love generally people that love us. And, but God, I pray that you would help us this year to learn love at a deeper level, an impossible, humanly impossible level, and learn how to release this love that you have poured into our hearts and teach us to love the unlovely this year. Move in hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.